Friends, welcome to Word on Fire Catholic Ministries. Word on Fire is an apostolate dedicated to the mission of evangelization, using media both old and new to share the faith on every continent and to facilitate an encounter with Christ and His Church. The efforts of Word on Fire engage the culture and bring the transformative power of God's Word where it is most needed. Today, we invite you to join Bishop Robert Barron as he preaches the gospel and shares the warmth and light of Christ with each one of us. Peace be with you. Friends, today is New Year's Day. I mean that in the liturgical sense of the term. With the first Sunday of Advent, we commence the liturgical year of 2019. And New Year's Day is always a good time for resolutions, taking stock, starting over again. What I want to do is interpret our readings for this Sunday kind of in that spirit, is we're starting the new year, we're starting afresh, we're getting back to some spiritual basics. And the readings, I think, really help us with this. The gospel now is taken from Luke. We'll be reading from Luke all during this liturgical year. And of course, Luke is such a a delight because he's a great literary artist and a great theological uh, master. But in this passage, Luke portrays Jesus in full apocalyptic mode. What I mean is he's speaking about the end of the world. Here's one little passage from his speech. There will be signs in the sun, the moon, and the stars, and on earth nations will be in dismay. People will die of fright in anticipation of what is coming upon the world. Now, bracing stuff, isn't it? From the very beginning of the church, people have interpreted texts such as this, and many others can be found in the Gospels, but especially in the book of Revelation, as literal descriptions of the ending of the world. Now, mind you, I don't deny that there's something uh, very important to this interpretation. The church does indeed believe that at his second coming, Jesus will usher out the old state of affairs, the old world, and he'll usher in the new world. There is indeed, I would say, a cosmic dimension to this language. I don't want to deny that. But here's the thing. I remember N.T. Wright um, teaching me this many years ago in one of his books. If that's all that these texts mean, right, they're, they're just literally about the end of the world, then they have significance really only for that generation that will experience the literal end of the world. So think of all the generations from the time that these words are written down to our time. Think of all the generations until the actual end of the world. Well, really for, for none of those people will these texts really mean very much because they're about that very, very particular moment when the world in the cosmic sense comes to an end. But see, the church has never felt this is right because it clearly holds these texts speak to every generation, not just to the one that will experience the literal end of the world. They speak to every generation, including ours. So how do we make sense of this? The arrival of Jesus does indeed entail the breakdown of an old world and the ushering in of a new one. Let me just say that again. That's the heart of apocalyptic literature. 
the arrival of Jesus does indeed entail the breakdown of an old world and the ushering in of a new one. Now, I'm using world here, not so much in the, in the cosmological sense. I'm using it more metaphorically to mean that whole set of assumptions, convictions, values, and orientations by which we order our lives, right? The world that we live in, the world in which we operate. Now, think of the reference in this speech of Jesus and many other apocalyptic uh, passages, the reference to the heavenly bodies, the sun, the moon, the planets, etc., that they'll fall, they'll be obscured, right? Well, see, in ancient times, these were the fixed points by which one navigated, either on land or at sea. Someone's wandering, you know, long before we had good roads and signs and, you know, much less GPS and all that, people wandering around, they guided their, themselves by these fixed points of sun, moon, stars, planets. Therefore, symbolically speaking, the shaking of these things, the obscuring of these things, the falling of these things to the ground signal that an established way of life is ceding to something new. Does that make sense? That the established way of orienting ourselves is giving way to something new. Okay. So let me make it a bit more concrete. For many people, and I'm talking to nothing but sinners out there, I'm, I'm one of you, for all of us sinners, the acquisition of wealth or the procurement of power or the accumulation of adulation or success in business might be our navigational constants. Right? By those fixed stars, we tend to guide our lives. As our lives unfold and things come and go and all the vicissitudes and vagaries of life, but what, what keeps us focused would be these great values. What kind of person are you, one might ask? And the answer might come back, well, I'm a, I'm a businessman. Or I'm, I'm a politician. Or I'm a man who treasures his friendships. Okay, those are your fixed points. For others, fixed points might be family, country, personal honor. What kind of person are you, someone might ask. The answer from these folks might come back. I'm a family man. I'm a patriot. I'm an honorable man. Now, Mind you, bad things to say, businessman, politician, someone that treasures friends, family man, a patriot. No, they're not bad things to say. Bad things to aspire to? No, not really. But see, here's the point, everybody. When Jesus comes into one's life, everything has to change. And all of these previously fixed points have to become, at least relatively speaking, fluid. Now, see what I mean? 
Because when Jesus comes into your life, he's the star, the sun, the moon, and all the planets. He's the fixed point. He's that by which we steer our lives. Now, now, pleasing him, doing what he wants, following him is all that finally matters. And everything else that I've just mentioned, all good things in themselves, have to find their place in relation to him. They, if you want, have to fall to the ground or be obscured as his light shines. Okay? Once we get this basic principle, I'll argue, much of the gospel opens up in a fresh way. Let's say money and wealth are your fixed stars. What does Jesus say? Go, sell all you have, and come follow me. Let's say prestige and honor, worldly success are your fixed stars. What does Jesus say? He who humbles himself will be exalted. If popularity and esteem are your fixed stars, that by which you, you navigate your life, what does Jesus say? Blessed are you when men hate you and prescribe your name as cursed because of the Son of Man. If worldly glory and success are your fixed stars, he says, take up your cross and follow in my footsteps. Now press it, press it. How radical this becomes. If your family is your sun and your moon, that's your fixed star. What does Jesus say? Unless you love me more than your mother and father, more than your very life, you are not worthy of me. Listen, if even religion itself and its institutions are your fixed stars, what does Jesus say? I tell you, not one stone of this temple will be left standing upon another. You know, keep this figure in mind as I make this point. The great St. Paul, after he had met the risen Jesus, Saul, Shaul, had dedicated his entire life to the best things in his mind, the traditions of Israel and the Torah. Once Jesus came, what does Paul say? I now consider all this rubbish. Extraordinary. You see what Paul's saying? His fixed stars fell to the ground once Jesus arrived. Now, mind you, I'll say it again. None of the things I've just mentioned are, are bad. I mean, they're, they're all good. Religion, institutions of religion, your own family. I mean, of course, those are good things. None of these things is morally objectionable. Yet, all of them must revolve around something more permanent. Give your worldly success, if you have it, to Christ. Give your family to Christ. Give your fame, if you have it, to him. He's the fixed star. Therefore, to prepare for the coming of Christ, that's what Advent's about, isn't it? This is, see, it's bracing stuff, Advent, because we're preparing for the invasion of Christ, which will upset 
the whole of our life. We're sinners, every one of us. Therefore, to prepare for the coming of Christ, we have to ready ourselves for a kind of apocalypse, a breakdown, a revolution. You see now why these are relevant to us, these stories about the end of the world. Our world has to be upended when Jesus comes in. And let's face it, fellow sinners, it's no fun being turned upside down. It's a bloody and wrenching business to rearrange one's entire system of values and behavior. But that's the challenge of Advent. Listen now to the last line from the Lord from this gospel. Be vigilant at all times and pray that you have the strength to escape the tribulations that are imminent and to stand before the Son of Man. There's our watchword, everybody, in Advent. Pray that you have the strength to escape the tribulations, meaning can you withstand the upset that's going to come into your life as you rearrange things around Jesus? And then how it ends, how beautifully. And to stand before the Son of Man. He's the sun, the moon, the planets. He's the fixed star. He's the light. We have to ready ourselves to stand before him. And God bless you. Thank you for listening to this week's homily from Bishop Robert Barron. For more resources from Bishop Barron, please visit wordonfire.org.